So good to see all of you tonight. Thank you for coming to the first night of uh, Life Together. Um, uh, tonight, I'm really excited for to open this up. Got my dear friend Tyler Statton. He's the pastor of Bridgetown. Um, him and his family. Wait, wait, did you guys move here in 21? Yeah, 2021. Yeah, 2021 uh, came uh, from from Brooklyn. Uh, they were pastoring a, a church in Brooklyn, and uh, uh, when John Mark stepped down at Bridgetown, um, Tyler stepped into that role. Tyler's also uh, he is. Um, works with 24-7 prayer. Uh, you're, you're over 24-7 prayer for America, right? Yeah, the yeah. national director here in the U.S. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so I thought, you know, the goal of this, these Sunday nights for the next seven weeks, this is going to be more of just a, um, conversations around themes that we think are central uh, to what it means to live life together as a community of faith. How do we actually... Um, how do we actually accomplish all that God has for us as the church in Portland? Um, what does it look like uh, to be a people that actually live out the Christian life together? And I thought that the probably one of the most important and actually least practiced elements uh, within the church is the, is the conversation of prayer. And so, Tyler, why don't we start by just, I'd love uh, for them to just to hear a little bit of your specifically your journey of, of how prayer became a passion for you. I'm reading your book right now. By the way, Tyler has a, a new book on prayer. We're gonna have it in the bookstore this week. Um, so pick it up next week when, um, uh, when you're at church. But uh, we're just, it, it's a really cool book and it shares a lot about his testimony. But I'd love to, for them to hear just a little bit about how you got into this. Yeah, so when I was uh, 13 years old is really when my faith journey began in earnest. Um, and... Uh, un unlike a lot of folks, it, it wasn't a youth camp experience or a particularly fun like youth group battle of the bands that someone slipped Jesus in on at the end or something like that that, that drew me in. I, I, I was an annoyingly skeptical kid. Um, I would ask really hard philosophical questions when my parents were trying to get me to go to bed at night. I would, uh, you know, I, I think I wanted to believe all the Jesus story, and I also feared that it was all a hoax. Um, and I was interacting with those ideas as a really young kid. And then a mentor of mine came up to me at total random, uh, just before summer break began when I was in the seventh grade and said, hey, what do you think God would do in the lives of your friends if you prayer walked a circle around your middle school every day this summer praying for them by name? And I was like, I've got no idea. And he said, well, why don't you try that out? And I really liked that idea because it seemed almost like an experiment in faith, like a way to give God a chance to surprise me or disappoint me. And so that summer, my older brother had just turned 16, so he was looking for any excuse to drive anywhere for any reason. And so he took me every day of summer break to the place that I was dead set on avoiding, which was my public middle school. And I walked a circle around it with the school directory. Do you remember when they used to give everyone's phone number and address out? Just to everyone else for attending the same public school? Times have changed. Um, but I, I carried that with me and just prayed by name for each of my friends. And 
by the end of that summer, something had happened that I didn't expect. I had no idea if God was answering my prayers, but I knew that I was absolutely in love with Jesus. I knew that I felt most at home in his presence uh, that I had ever felt in my life. I knew that somehow I felt he was walking beside me and listening to me. I knew that the gift of prayer was not the gift, but the giver himself. And I was coming to know the giver. And, and I, in fact, was so utterly undone and transformed by these times alone walking at my middle school with Jesus in conversation I came back to the school the next year. Uh, first day of school, I meet with my principal, and I say, hey, I, I'm thinking maybe I could start an extracurricular club at the school about Jesus. And he was like, well, if you get a teacher sponsor, any club is allowed. And so I found uh, my math teacher that I'd just been assigned was willing to become my teacher sponsor. And so we started this Christian outreach ministry uh, in my public middle school, we met at 6.30 a.m. on Wednesday mornings. Obviously a convenient time. You know, middle school, like 12, 13, 14-year-olds definitely are trying to get up, consider existential questions at that time in the morning. Um, and uh, I did everything wrong looking back. I mean, I had no idea how to lead something like this. My entire strategy, to be completely honest, is on Tuesday evenings, I would open the Bible at random to just a choice location, pick out a paragraph, read it, jot down some thoughts of what I thought it probably meant, and then share that with the group the following morning. That was it. Definitely, definitely heresy was preached at this Christian outreach ministry. Um, but I did pray. I had fallen in love with Jesus that summer, so I started leading this thing on Wednesday morning, so I continued to pray by name for my friends at on Tuesday mornings and on Thursday mornings. My mom actually at one point sat me down and asked me to chill out with all the prayer because she was losing too much sleep, taking me to school so early. And by the end of that school year, just to fast forward a long story, we had moved into the school's theater. It was the largest extracurricular of any kind in the school. I had seen more than 10% of my eighth grade class come to faith in Jesus through the heretical sermons of a 13-year-old skeptic. And, and when something like that happens to you, at least for me, there was just no going back. Um, you know, I was going to build my life on the intimacy and power that comes through prayer to Jesus from that point forward. And my faith has had many an up and down, like anyone does who walks with Jesus for any length of time. But that sense of wonder at the God that we're talking to is something that I've never quite lost. Yeah. Um, Tyler, when we, when we met about prayer, this is an incredible story, and I think that it, it speaks to the power, too, of just you're not going to know if you don't step into the water of it. Like, it's mm -hmm. the, like how much are we missing? It just makes me think of, like, Lord, I don't even want to know how much we're missing out on the possibility of experiencing your radical presence and it bringing transformation because we're afraid to start or we don't know where to start. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I'd love to hear a, a little bit, um, just talk with me a little bit about kind of your exploration of prayer, the history of prayer, um, and, and even maybe, maybe some contrast of kind of your own studies and your journey of like looking at practices of prayer um, throughout, throughout church history compared to what you're seeing in the church today 
um, what was normal practices, uh, and this is something that we talked about that I found really fascinating mm -hmm. and deeply convicting. Um, but yeah, give us a little, give us a little background. Yeah, so I mean, I um, am very ecumenically broad in my willingness to draw on the practices of prayer, and, and that's because anyone that's praying to Jesus as Lord, if, if that for you looks quite silent and contemplative, then I would love to do that with you. And if that, and if you're waving a flag and screaming and doing cartwheels, I'll try to do that with you, you know? <laughs> um, but, but if we're praying to Jesus as Lord, then I think there's water to be drawn from that well. And one of the interesting things is if you study uh, the earliest church practices around prayer, like if you read the Didache, the ancient documents, as close as we can get to Jesus and his earliest followers, what you'll discover is that early church life was anchored by prayer, not by gatherings. So Jesus, uh, almost certainly by all the scholarly evidence, lived by the Hebrew uh, prayer rhythm, which was morning, midday, and evening prayer, praying set prayers at the temple, guided by the priest, but it was a very participatory form of prayer. It's actually where we get hand-raising from the Hebrew tradition. It, it was the ancient posture of prayer, not clasping your hands or kneeling, but raising your hands was the ancient form of prayer, which is where we get that expression today. So the, the earliest Hebrew traditions, like Old Testament era, we're praying morning, midday, and evening prayers. Jesus and his disciples, by all historical and biblical accounts, continue living by that Hebrew prayer rhythm. They're going regularly to the temple. They're, they've all been raised in the Hebrew tradition. And then in the first 300 years of church history, uh, we know that the church gathered daily for morning, midday, and evening prayer together. This is why, for instance, you, you read the book of Acts, and things happen, like I believe it's in Acts 4, that Peter and John are flogged by the Sanhedrin, and then immediately there's a church-wide prayer meeting that causes the temple's foundations to shake. And, and the obvious question you should be asking is, how on earth, in a, in a large city, in a world before cell phones and email, did they gather the entire church day of for an impromptu prayer meeting? And the answer is, oh, they were already gathering to pray, morning, midday, and evening. They were ready for it. Yeah, they, they were meeting there, and therefore, when did the uh, temple's foundation shake? It was at the church's ordinary prayer meeting in response to a need that was voiced by the leaders of the church for those who had kept showing up, probably through plenty of boring prayer meetings, uh, and, and saw the Spirit move in power uh, in response to the prayers of His people. So it is my great passion to revive the church's first 300 years in our time today and see the church become anchored again to prayer. And I think morning, midday, and evening is as good of any place to start. And I think we've got to be creative in how we express that now because the lifestyle that we live these days makes it really impractical to gather three times a day in person in one set location. D Dora Pope does that. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> then... Uh, I'm joining here. Uh, whatever the membership process this, is, sign me up. This um, is called promoting a false narrative, yeah. uh, by the way. Uh, we but, th but we I, thought about it, though. We totally had dreams about this meeting three times a day. Yeah. Every day. But, but <laughs> with all sincerity, I do think we need to be creative in our expression, our cultural norms, in our day to say, well, what does it look like for us to anchor our lives and our life together by intimacy with God? Yeah. Because that is the fundamental thing we believe is that because of Jesus, 
God is accessible to me and to you. The temple curtain has been torn. I have access to the Holy of Holies anywhere I want, anytime I want. That is an absurd idea. And yet to really believe it, I think, is then to anchor your life and your shared life around that direct access and to begin to revel in the spoils of Jesus' victory. You know, one of the things I was thinking about is when we just did the seven day, for those of you that kind of engaged in my crazy desire to just out of the blue fast for seven days, but we, we opened up where we pray <laughs> morning, uh, morning, afternoon, evening. And I think the most powerful aspect of that week was just that, was the, the fasting actually was, was easier than I had ever experienced it in the past because we were replacing physical hunger with the spiritual hunger and and it was I found that it was actually easiest to do in the context of community and praying together and I think that historically through Door of Hope I, I don't know if this is your experience but it's almost easier to to do something radical like pray for 30 days straight than it is to pray one morning a week there's something about just making it as as normal a part of your life as as having your meals every day um and I I'd actually I love the like maybe we should just start that door of hope, just a, a year of praying every day. Um, who will lead that? Yes, Matt, uh, Matt Gina Melwell. <laughs> Honestly, apparently this guy called an impromptu seven day fast. You gotta be careful. <laughs> Anything could happen tonight. <laughs> I'm not leaving here until we've prayed for a year straight. <laughs> well, um, tell us, Tell us a little bit about how you have um, personally uh, tried to in encourage uh, both Bridgetown and um, the church that you're a part of in Brooklyn. How, how have you encouraged the community toward kind of that desire to move back toward those, those early, that apostolic faith of, of just making prayer? Because you said something really interesting when we met last that you said, my goal is to have the church doing something that if I told them now, what I'd like to see them doing in five years, they would think it's, they would think it's crazy. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that you said, I wanna radicalize the church toward prayer. Yeah. Um, how are you, what, like what, is, what are some of the practices that, to help move the needle toward that reality? Well, yeah, I, I think in my role serving 24 seven prayer, which is like a family of churches and communities, we're trying to create resources uh, that would make uh, radical forms of prayer accessible. So for instance, we've developed a, an app called Inner Room that is a morning, midday, evening prayer rap, uh, app, and then a different app called Lectio 365, which is a pray in concert with scripture app, and uh, different things like this to try to serve and give things away to the church that are resources that might make it a little bit easier for a church to move into ancient practices or rhythms without... Um, you know, everyone in the community learning the history of the roots of this thing and, we're, you know, all that stuff. But within Bridgetown, um, yeah, I mean, my aim is to radicalize the church when it comes to prayer. Um, and my only frame of reference for radicalized behavior is marathon training because I trained for one marathon once. And I can tell you, the pain is but a moment, but the sermon illustrations <laughs> yeah. last a lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, uh, so th this is basically every marathon training program is establishing a base run and a distance run, 
And the name of the game is just extending the base run, right? It's like run one mile twice, run three miles once. Week two, run two miles twice, run four miles once. It's that kind of thing. And they're just inching your base run further and further until it's like, oh, on a, on a rest week, I'm running further than I had ever run in my life uh, prior to seven weeks ago or whatever. And so I think about prayer a lot like that. Like if, if we are incrementally utilizing spurts like 21 days of prayer, not as a one-off thing, but as, okay, now we're going re- to reset, but we're not just going to reset back to exactly how we were living before these last 21 days. We're going to take a sustainable bit of, of what we've experienced in these 21 days and keep that as a part of our communal life. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to go into a radical form of prayer again, like seven days of fasting. We're praying morning, midday, and evening. And then we're going to reset back to normal life, but we're going to take a sustainable bit of this with us. And so at, at Bridgetown, the way that we do this is we've selected two rhythms of prayer that seem to have just taken well in our community. And it is a daily prayer rhythm of morning, midday, and evening prayer. And it's prayer rooms where we have a prayer room set aside in our church. And we do two times a year where we do 24-7 prayer in that prayer room, meaning people can sign up for a slot and you come in. And a prayer room I find helpful because we set up stations that are experiential all around the room that teach you to pray in different ways. They teach you to pray confession. They teach you to pray intercession, which means praying for other people, or to pray petition, which is asking God for things for yourself. They teach you to pray adoration, which is giving praise to God in prayer, not coming with requests, so on and so forth. And so... It's quite easy to pass an hour when you're interactively working with and learning different forms of prayer. And then people will leave that prayer room and discover, I'd never been alone with Jesus for an hour in my life without a professional guiding me. Mm-hmm. And I think I actually like God. Mm-hmm. Like I knew I loved him and I knew he loved me, but I think I enjoy his company. And he enjoys mine. And so that's sort of our radical rhythm is, yes, we really mean come and pray at three in the morning, like sign up for your one hour slot, whenever it is. And then we'll reset to, okay, now can we just practice this morning, midday and evening prayer rhythm through these three set guided simple prayers that we have wherever you are uh, so that we know you know, I'm a barista in Southeast and you're an executive at Nike, but we're stopping at the same time every day to pray in the same ways for the same things and then re-entering our workday two minutes later, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. I love that. Um, talk with me, uh, us a little bit about um, just different, you, you asked before we came out here, you know, do we want the emphasis tonight to be on um, on individual prayer practices or communal prayer practice, and, and this, this series is called Life Together. We want to be talking about what it looks like for us to be a community that prays together, but there is no communal practice if there isn't personal practice as well, um, and I've, I would love to just hear, like, what, talk with us about, like, just different, different ways in which, in which prayer, you, different ways in which we can pray, enter into prayer on a personal level and on a, on a corporate level. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... Personally, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of this concept of spiritual pathways, but in addition to, to spiritual gifts, I think there's different spiritual pathways that each person possesses, which mean there's probably ways of prayer 
that just naturally flow well for you. And that is a neutral thing. It's not positive or negative. And I would say personally, it's always good to have a prayer practice that is a pathway for you, meaning this is just naturally flowing well. Sometimes people talk about an upstream and a downstream practice. So there should always be a practice of prayer where you're just floating downstream easily. So one for me is prayer walking. As we mentioned before, that's a part of my spiritual history. It's also how my mind works. Like I'm a... Um, weirdly active person. I'm, I'm kind of like nervous energy, need to be moving. And so I prayer walk every morning with a cup of coffee in my hand, and I find that conversation between myself and God flows most naturally uh, when I am moving. And so for me to sit with my hands clasped in a chair with my head bowed is probably the most difficult form of prayer. But writing, like journaling, walking, these kinds of things, I find really practically beneficial. Mm-hmm. And, and so th- you've got to have a downstream uh, discipline, but then an upstream discipline as well. Y- you know, a lot of people uh, might find that they've spent a lot of time in prayer working through a list of things that they came to talk to God about, but it's been very little time in what's been historically called listening prayer, which is allowing my prayer to be a response to conversation with God, whether that conversation is originating in a time of contemplative listening or in the reading of Scripture and then beginning prayer saying, Jesus, I hear you showing me in your word today, blank, or whatever it is, Um, but to explore the various facets of prayer and select one of each because most people who I interact with about prayer are quite bored with prayer. And the answer is almost always because to you, prayer means one very specific expression of prayer. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, if you look throughout biblical and church history, prayer is this massive color palette of expression. And so if you were painting on a canvas and only had red to work with, you would become pretty bored painting after a while. But if you have the whole color palette to creatively express what is within you, then people can get lost in a studio for a lifetime creating, and and prayer is is much the same way. So that's what I would say on the individual practice side. And then when it comes to communal practice, I I think I would just want to acknowledge before you guys that there's, there's a few types of prayer that seem to become more powerful when practiced in community. Um, and, and just to name what a few of those are, one I would say is confession. Mm-hmm. That praying confession just between me and God is a powerful way to release guilt uh, that is weighing on me and to be reminded of the freedom of forgiveness that, that Jesus has won for me. But if I pray confession with you, then you can be that voice of absolution, that voice of Jesus, and the way you respond to me in that vulnerability can be to me a tangible interaction with the heart of God for me. And, And not only that, but we have deepened who we are in community because I've suddenly broken through the barrier of small talk over coffee and into... This is what I'm wrestling with in this moment. I completely lost my temper on my son right before I came here. 
or I still am falling into that same sin pattern week after week, no matter how many times I've named it before God, or fill in the blank here, their community gets deepened and confession becomes more powerful if practiced in community, but it's scarier yeah. to practice in community. And then secondly, I would say um, intercession, meaning praying for other people, powerful when practiced in community. Um, because you invite others into your intercession, and often they really do come into it with you and really do pray with you and really do celebrate with you when God moves, or, and this is potentially the most underrated factor, weep with you in the waiting, right? Jesus in Gethsemane, couldn't you stay awake with me even one hour? He is in a moment of what's traditionally called travail, particularly within the African-American tradition of the church. Travail, praying, contending against evil, longing for God to bring redemption, and yet God is too slow, or at least that's how it feels, mm -hmm. or not demonstrative enough, or at least that's how it feels. And when the Son of God himself is on his knees in a garden, weeping in prayer, he's saying to his friends, can't you guys just stay awake and pray with me? He's wanting community to enter into that uh, prayer with him. And so in, in the same way, intercession becomes more powerful when prayed in community because we can link arms and we can be the friends to one another that Jesus is to us in prayer and that he was looking for on that night. So just a couple of things that come immediately to me. I, I actually want to ask you about a particular, because you come from a, a little more charismatic, and like I always joke, the yeah, door I've of been, hope is, I've been trying to stay very under control here this yeah, whole time. Yeah, um, <laughs> I've been leaning into a lot of rhetoric that I thought would be more appropriate. I'd, I'd like you to offer up a tongue and I'd like to try an interpretation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, but no, there is a practice, though. I, 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 was, uh, I was over in London um, with my son, um, and I've seen this multiple times, and I'm, I'm always moved by it, but the chaos of my own brain, I, I have to admit that um, when I've seen this practice, it, like, I, I'm like, I don't know what to do with it, but I always find it beautiful. It's compelling, but I'm like terrified of it at the same time. And you were making a comment that this is actually one of the most common practices of prayer on a global scale. And this is the idea of prayer, communal prayer, where prayer is truly vertical. Like we're very proper in our evangelical roots of like, it's the whole idea, God is not a God of chaos, he's a God of order, and so we're orderly. So prayers become like popcorn, like one person offers up the prayer, everyone listens, and then it also ends up running dangerously into the possibility where everyone gives little mini sermons, especially if it's a group of pastors praying. Uh, and, uh, but the idea of where the church is petitioning God together simultaneously um, and uh, that lifted prayer. Is that something that you guys do at Bridgetown? We did that today in yeah. our worship gatherings this morning. Um, I thought about you guys doing it. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, talk to talk to us about that. Like, what what, what what's the the power? Because it's something I I'm I'm very I, I I experienced it with my son, and I asked my son I'm like Henry, what did you think of that? And he goes, I thought it was really powerful. Yeah. Um, it's actually you know the most common form of prayer in the gathered church in the American church is everyone listening while the pastor prays. The most common form of prayer in the gathered church globally 
is everyone praying at the same time, and it sounds like a middle school lunchroom. And, <laughs> and I think that's beautiful because it allows people to learn to pray in a way that involves very little risk because if everyone's participating, no one knows what you're praying. You don't have to come up with something profound. You can just be honest with God. Mm-hmm. And secondly, it's participatory. And we know psychologically that we're formed far more by what we do, what we participate in, than just what we hear. And so today, and actually throughout six weeks, we have you guys jotted down to reach out and get prayer requests from. We're just trying to pray for other churches around the city and remind our congregation that we're a part of a kingdom and a family under one father and that what God is up to in Portland is at Bridgetown and is so much bigger than Bridgetown. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we are interceding together for other churches, and we're doing that in a participatory way where everyone is standing er- and, and we're facing the direction of that church. Everyone turns and faces a particular direction, and then we all just pray aloud for 30 seconds. And then at some point, I drown everybody out with a prayer that kind of wraps it up, uh, you know, but it, it is just a way to make prayer, a participatory part of our gathered worship in the exact same way we do coming to the Lord's table or singing, or singing yeah. or, you know, so yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would say that, like, the reason, the joy of being able to worship together is that you, you know, it doesn't matter if you can't sing, that's why we're amplified, but I think the prayer, too, is like, just, are we, are we willing to, to, to seek God's face, and I think the discomfort with it has more to do with our own just it's not what we've done so it doesn't feel as natural but a lot Mm -hmm. of things in the Christian life don't feel natural until we begin to make it a a part of our rhythm (laughs) exactly I mean I even earlier tonight I was talking about the first time I was trying to learn to handle the scripture you know opening to a random spot and picking out a paragraph everywhere that is sacred between you and Jesus today was awkward at first you know and so if if our spiritual practice, if the barrier to that is what makes me feel awkward at first, we're going to be trapped in a pretty tight box of, of how we can practice the way of Jesus together. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Well, uh, Tyler, I'd love to, um, A, I wanna, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to put this out there for us tonight. I would like to actually close this service with us trying that practice together, praying together. Uh, Actually, I don't want to do it. It seems scary. No, I'm just joking. Um, I, <laughs> I want hey, watch. We 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 got to do it, and Tyler's the only one praying. We're like, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna lift up my voice. But like, I actually I feel like every time I have done it, I'll be like, Jesus, and all of a sudden I just kind of fade into silence, and then I'm just like watching everyone pray. I'm like, this is terrible. And, and I, I, but I, I love that. I love. I love things that push us out of our comfort zone when it comes to, the, I, I think a comfortable Christianity is a pseudo-Christianity. I think that there should be comfortable in the sense that I know the God that I love, but there's also should be a continue. it's the idea of sacred romance. And sacred romance, as Chesterton puts it, is a combination of something that is familiar and cozy like home and an adventure all at the same time. Uh, and I think that, that that combination is that we're coming to a God that it's safe for us 
to do things that are uncomfortable. But that's the part of being a family. A family, a home is a place where, it, you know, as uh, I think it was Chesterton that said that the home is the only place where we can truly be anarchists. It's the place where you can walk around in your underwear and not be ashamed, you know? It's like the, but I think that the church family, a place where we are able to be, um, to, to be like little children, learning how to come to our Father, learning how to grab a hold of the resources that are available to us. So I'd like to, um, th there's actually a, a series of questions that have come in um, from the community around prayer, and I'd love to be able to hit those. Yeah, can I say one thing about what you were just saying? Yeah. I think it's, I'm suspicious that it might be important for some, but you were just talking about grabbing a hold of the resources. And I want to say this, because we've talked a lot about practice, we've talked about communal practice, individual practice, everything like that. Um, I just want to make a simple observation from Scripture to potentially shift your paradigm when it comes to what prayer is and what it's about. Um, when I read the prayers written in the New Testament, uh, Paul, I think, has 40-something of them, 43, I believe, in the letters of Paul. I notice this, this, that Paul prays promises, not problems, and that almost everyone, when we learn to pray, we learn to pray problems before we learn to pray promises. Mm -hmm. And so I want you to reimagine prayer not as the place that you bring your problems to God. It is that. So, so bring your problems to God, absolutely. But also the place where the promises of God get applied. Mm -hmm. And we all live with a gap, right, between the promises of God and my everyday experience. Mm -hmm. And it's been both my experience and my belief that prayer is what closes the gap mm -hmm. between my everyday experience and the promises of God. So if you're, you know, just to take some low-hanging fruit, he loves you even as he loves Jesus. But if when you come into the presence of God, if you regularly feel something less than that, then I would just say, bring that promise into prayer and say, God, you say this about me, and yet in your presence, I typically feel X, Y, and Z, and I just want to invite you to apply that promise to my felt experience in my Christian life and to close the gap between the rumor of what Jesus has accomplished for me and my day-to-day -day reality as I go about my life in Portland. So just a way to reimagine prayer that I think might be important for some. Okay, let's do the questions. Yeah, that's, that's a great word, and thank you for sharing that. And I, that's, a, that's a powerful thing of how do we grab a hold of those promises and prayer being a beautiful way to do it. Um, okay, the first question is, uh, it says, I'm always excited and mystified by the passage, ask anything in my name and it will be done. Tell us about that verse. <laughs> <laughs> Unpack the deep mystery of that verse. Yeah. I mean, it's not just there. Jesus says that kind of thing over and over and over. Yes, he does. Um, and I think this is going to be a really unsatisfying response. But, but I think I would say if Jesus talks that demonstrably about an invitation to prayer it should either make you want to do almost nothing except pray <laughs> or call him a fraud. Mm -hmm. And most of us have found some way to thread a needle of assuming he didn't really mean that or didn't really mean it the way it seems to sound mm -hmm. and instead have a very tame prayer life 
and a very tame spiritual experience. And I have made it one of my life's great missions to view that verse and others like it as an invitation from Jesus to take him up on what I would argue is his most astounding offer, the other side of grace, Mm -hmm. um, and to regularly present the deep needs of my life to him in prayer. And I am marvel at my incessant desire to do exactly what Adam and Eve did and snatch control back of the narrative of my life again and again and again, and how much more alive I am when I am willing to live surrendered before God in prayer. So does Jesus mean that everything that you ask him for will, like a rigged slot machine, just deliver exactly the way you're imagining it? Based on my life experience, no. I cannot say that that's what Jesus is guaranteeing. Does Jesus mean that his deep desire for your life is life and life to the full? And that one of the most profound ways you can access life and life to the full is to learn to hold your entire life before him with open hands in prayer. I believe that is what Jesus means. And I am struggling day in and day out to take him up on that offer. Yeah, that's such a, I was just talking with my dear friend, um, Josh Garrels, a singer-songwriter, and he was telling me, I was telling him how I felt convicted to stay at Door of Hope, and specifically because God reminded me, and it was in that kind of a listening prayer moment where mm-hmm. there was really a vision given of mm-hmm. a, a revival in Portland. And Josh said something to me. He said he read this missionary, that um, this British missionary, uh, who made a comment on uh, when God gives you a vision for something, that our prayer life uh, and our, our Christian life, is it's really about just trusting in that and then just waiting for God to fulfill. Like when we, we know, if it's what God has truly given us, then, then our responsibility is just to press into it, to, to push into it, not to, well, it hasn't come to fruition yet. I mean, aren't we grateful that the, the, the disciples uh, stayed in the upper room mm-hmm. and actually waited? Would we wait as long as they waited for the coming of the Holy Spirit? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I love that, that picture. And even Jesus, like you being evil know how to give good gifts. Dear children, how much more will your Father in heaven give those give good gifts to those who ask Him? Um, I, it does seem like the issue is grabbing a hold of the of the of the promise itself. Yeah, and and you know the potential counter narrative in the mind of anyone in the room would be someone that has really suffered because of prayer, and then seeing God not come through. Someone who has a story in this room. Uh, that is more defined by unanswered prayer and disappointment with God than it is by living a life of prayer. I mean, I could sound offensive in the way I'm talking about this. And so I'm really helped by the fact that Scripture promises that there are two things that God collects, and they're prayers and tears. Right? Scripture says that no prayer that you pray will ever be wasted, that God has collected every last one in his book, and the Psalms say that he's bottled up every tear you've ever shed. And, what I, and the Psalms also say that those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. And so I think what that means is that 
Even your weeping like Jesus in the garden is a form of prayer. And the tears you shed in the waiting for redemption in the broken world that we live in are the seeds that will grow redemption until this whole place is eaten. And so I think if you have a story that is defined by unanswered prayer, here is one of the things that God our Father promises is that he's bottled up every tear that you've ever shed and he will see to it that not a single one of them is wasted. And he has organized redemption in such a way that your suffering actually becomes one of the most powerful forces used to redeem the world. He is that good that, that he builds redemption out of a tapestry of shattered pieces of the fall and shattered pieces of your life. Mm, I love that. Uh, the second question uh, is, how do I pray or talk with God um, right after someone else who is so incredibly gifted in prayer? Often I stay quiet because I feel that my short little prayer would be nothing compared to their incredible prayer. <laughs> I just want to remind you, probably the most underrated thing Jesus ever taught about prayer is you will not be heard because of your many words. <laughs> yeah, that's you know, exactly. <laughs> I, I think this is so cheesy, but every single night, um, my middle son, Simon, who's four, uh, after he prays, um, he has like some go-to prayers. He usually prays for an incredibly fun day tomorrow. And he often says, thank you, God, for my underwear, because he thinks that's very funny. And, <laughs> and every single it time. Is funny. Yeah, it's, it's great. Fun, it's funny. It works. <laughs> every single time he prays, um, I say, whose prayers are God's favorites? And he says, mine are. And then he says, even more than Hank's? That's his older brother. And I say, even more than Hank's. <laughs> you know, I'd say, I would just say, like, Honestly, prayer starts with the belief that God loves to hear your voice. Yeah. And that he, th there's this incredible scene in The Horse and His Boy, like one of the Chronicles of Narnia books, where Shasta, the main character, is lost and alone. He gets lost. He's walking in the middle of the night. And then Aslan, the Christ figure in these, uh, in these books, uh, is walking beside him. And he can feel him there. And he can hear him breathing. And he becomes really frightened he goes a long way and then eventually just says, who are you? And Aslan says, one who has waited long for you to speak. And I think that's a beautiful picture of the heart of God when it comes to prayer. And if you can get out of your head that God is like grading your prayer like a Toastmaster speech or an essay, <laughs> and instead is just waiting long for you to speak, yeah. that your voice is music to his ears as you pray and begin to pray from that place then all those other concerns kind of go out the window. Yeah, I don't think impressed is a word that I would apply to God the Father. Yes, uh, yeah. I, I think, uh, yeah, I think he's grateful when his kids just look up to him. And I mean, think about, if, for those of you who've prayed in groups, like the most beautiful prayers, I think, are often come from the most unrefined lips, those that are the newest to the, to the faith. Mm -hmm. the, there's a rawness, uh, a book that, um, that we both love, uh, Mary Carr's um, Lit, and I love there's a scene where she's, you know, here's this woman that's an alcoholic. She's tried to take her own life and she's going through AA and she's being taught about the, the step of the, the God thing. And she sees the power of prayer in people's life. And so there's a scene where the open, it's like, it's one of those, like not many Christians are maybe prepared for her brutal honesty, but she says, I'm, I was ready to try the prayer thing. 
And so she gets on her knees in a bathroom stall at a, at a restaurant, and her first words is, God, where the F have you been? And, but there was something, I, it actually made me weep when I read it, because it was such an honest, like, broken, I just, like, I need, and, and for her, her, her faith has been defined, actually, by this robust prayer life. Um, that, that raw prayer has uh, turned her into a passionate person of prayer. That's like one of the main things that she writes about. It's the, how she connected with God. It's where she found the reality of Jesus. Uh, and, and I think it's a, it's a beautiful reminder that eloquence is not what he's looking for, or, and he's not looking for the many words. In fact, I think that many of us, you know, uh, run the risk of, of monologuing at God rather than talking with him. Um, I do that with everybody, so... Um, and, uh, and my wife's, like, nodding her head and just calm, yes, of approval at that statement. Um, uh, no, the shortness of the prayer, the, the honesty of the prayer. Uh, it, Jesus is looking to the heart. I mean, that's the bottom line. It's like the woman that I used to listen to worship uh, named Kim at the first church I was at when I first got saved, who had the worst voice of anyone in the church and yet the most beautiful spirit of anyone. I mean, it was brutal when she stood right in front of me when I was leading worship because she sang so loud and so flat that it would throw me off. But I didn't mind because no one was more sincere in her desire to praise Jesus. Uh, and, I, and I think that the beauty of that, of that spirit is like my sweetest memories of worship was her singing flat in front of me. I think the same principle is true with prayer. Um, One other thing on this topic is often, I just want to say the, the long and eloquent prayer is the problematic one. Um, something terrible happens to us if you're in the church for a while, and it's that you learn this language between you and God that uh, essentially makes your prayers unintelligible to anyone that hasn't spent as much time in the church as you. And secondly, it insulates, often insulates you from God's disappointment or his wonder um, because we learn to phrase our request to God in such a way that at the end of your prayer, like, is that even an answerable prayer? You, you know, like, uh, and so I would just challenge you. I mean, even the prayer that you just mentioned at the bathroom stall, uh, that prayer is one that get, puts God on the offensive, like gives God a chance to respond. And so if, if you do find that your prayers are quite gorgeous and eloquent, I would just humbly suggest that you try to find a way to say what you mean to God uh, in a way that uh, is as straightforward and simple as possible. And I think that might challenge your faith uh, as you continue to pray. That's really good. That's really good. Uh, I, I love this. How do you discern the voice of God in your prayer sessions from your own conscious thoughts? That's a great question. Um, man, there are books that have been written on that that are incredible. I think to share a few very, very quick thoughts. Um, number one would be, I think one of the biggest deterrents to uh, trusting that uh, very subjective experience of the voice of God, right? I'm listening to God, I'm practicing some form of contemplative or listening prayer where I'm waiting for him to speak, and then a thought comes to my mind. Now, do I trust that thought as 
something that God is bringing to my mind in that moment, or is it a total distraction? A few ways to figure that out that I would just offer. Number one, God created your imagination. Psychologically speaking, one of the things that makes human beings different than any other species that we're aware of to this point in, in our understanding of biology uh, would be that only human beings have the ability to imagine a better future or to imagine a future into being. So you are set apart by your imagination. Sometimes I wonder if that might be a part of the imago Dei or the image of God that is within us as human beings. So I would just say your imagination is not a deterrent to hearing the voice of God. It might very well be the tool that God most profoundly uses to speak to you. So most people uh, struggle to learn the voice of God because they assume that it will feel revelatory and like lightning striking. But to quote uh, many before me, uh, God comes to us disguised as our ordinary life. And if we can begin to trust the ordinary, we begin to discern God's voice. So first, don't distrust your imagination or discount your imagination. Second, this question is often asked from a passive place, right? I don't know if that's God speaking or not, so I essentially never act on anything um, that comes to me in listening prayer. And I would say, ask the same question from an active place rather than a passive one. So trust that the thoughts that pop into your imagination when you've got a chance to speak really are him. And then see what happens. See if spiritual fruit begins to come from them in your life or the life of someone else and continue asking the question but from an active place. Third, I would say, um, the Psalms say deep calls to deep. That means God speaks to the soul. He speaks to the deepest part of you. He speaks to your deepest desires. And the enemy speaks to your ego. He massages that more surface part of you. So is the thought coming to your mind massaging your ego or is it tugging at your soul? If you can trace it to where it's hitting you uh, and it's in that deepest place, that place that makes you want to beam with joy or fall apart weeping or some combination of the two, I would say that sounds a lot like the voice of God. Um, so that just a few thoughts that might be helpful. Um, one mystic that I was really helped by uh, Christian mystic described the voice of God as the touch of a feather on your skin, meaning it's light enough that you can just totally ignore it if you want to, but it's firm enough that you can feel it and respond to it if you want to. I've heard others describe the voice of God, and this speaks to a lot of my experience as a thought that comes to your mind like any other thought and yet it seems to originate from outside of you, not from inside of you. And I, I think we have, a lot of, we have a lot of trouble explaining that, but we've all experienced it, right? I've waited in prayer, and then like my to-do list will start scrolling through my head. I can pretty quickly dismiss that because it's coming from inside of me. It is the, it is the dust settling in my clouded head. But then once the dust has settled, often a memory will come to mind from 12 years ago that I haven't thought of in forever. That feels like it's coming from outside of me, mm -hmm. not from inside of me. So to whatever degree those things are helpful. Yeah, and I think too when we connect that with what we'll be considering next week when, when Tim 
um, Mackie comes and talks with about scripture is that we have, God has given us these, these tools by which we can, that we can test those things. You know, we, uh, people are saying, you're not to trust the heart, the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. However, we have to remember that being born again, we have received a new heart, a new mm-hmm. spirit. So it's, it is a sanctified imagination. And I do, I agree. I think that there are aspects uh, for me that the idea of the voice of God uh, is, is often not there. It, it comes in a way that's often counterintuitive to the actual experience I'm in. So this sense, I, I remember going to London and having this very intense it was a supernatural experience of God's presence in a time of really intense despair, mm. uh, a, a desire to be out of ministry, a, a spiritual burnout, tension at home, uh, overwhelmed by life. Everything felt like it was out of control. And what I experienced was the exact opposite of that, which was this overwhelming sense that I was loved. And in that overwhelming sense that I was loved actually created, uh, created a conviction in me. And, and it was like Jesus used his love for me to show me that I wasn't trusting in that love, uh, that I was still believing the false narrative that I'm not lovable and I'm not doing enough to prove uh, that I'm lovable. And it was just this sense, I love you, I'm with you, I have you. And it was so clearly not for anything that I was thinking in that that framework. And when I came home, it then it's tested in the context of community. I remember sharing it with Darcy and Hattie and Hattie breaking down in tears. And I said, I, I said, honey, why are you crying? I'm okay. I'm just sharing a story because I started crying as I shared the story. And Hattie's response was, um, she's like, no, daddy, I don't think I've ever seen you cry before. It's beautiful. It's like I'm seeing you for the first time. There's an, there is an element of, of, I think, when the word of God comes, that it often is so counterintuitive to what our experience is, but it, and it brings about a fruit that's tangible. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing of that testing, the mm-hmm. entering into that experience. And, and in that, that, for me, was people praying for me. It was a room of people praying for pastors that were there, and I tried to get away from the prayer. I moved to the back of the room while all the pastors went forward, being in the counter, and all of a sudden, before I knew it, I couldn't even figure out why I was walking forward for prayer, um, and it was this overwhelming sense. But there are, there are much more subtle times, too, where this that, yeah, that it can be a word of conviction. It can be, but it's often not going to push you to the most shallow experience. Yeah. <laughs> it may say, take a breath. I've got you, uh, but it's not, oh, you should, Jesus is probably not going to be like, you should go back to TikTok right now. It's going to be real beneficial yeah. for you. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, you, you bringing up Tim reminds me of something really important. God's also spoken to us through the Bible. Yeah. So God spe- has spoken through his written word, and he speaks through his whispered word, his still small voice, but he does not contradict himself. So if what you think God is speaking is in contradiction to scripture, you can go ahead and throw it out. It's not him. Uh, The second thing is he speaks in a Christ-like manner. He's spoken to us through the living word. And so another way to think is, I have this sense, I think it might be from God, try to put it in the mouth of Jesus and just say, does this sound like something Jesus would say? Mm -hmm. That's why it's important to read the Gospels often and to to immerse yourself in the person of Jesus. Put it in the mouth of Jesus. Say, does this sound like Jesus? And I would just say, if it lines up with Scripture, if it sounds like Jesus, if it speaks to your soul, if it felt like you originated from outside and not inside, why not? trust it and see what happens. Yeah, 
that's great. I'm going to ask one more question, then I'm going to have us um, have you kind of close this in a time of participatory prayer. I know everyone's been working up their nerve this whole time since you dropped that early. The moment I said it, no one's even heard anything we've said since then. They're like, wait a minute. So I've got to pray at the same time as everybody else. There's going to be an extraordinary (laughs) need for the bathroom in that moment to sweep over the room. I I was thinking about the rock. I will say, because, you know, I I would never spend time looking at reels. Um, uh, I did see this uh, reel of a guy praying. And you, remind, you guys know you guys know Lewis at Northeast, because Lewis is on that guy is on fire for Jesus, and you can't preach. It doesn't matter if it's the quietest room ever. Good Friday, he'll just be like Jesus, like just scream, and it's always like ah, like. And then I saw this reel, and it's just this guy praying, and he's break dancing, and he just sounds just like Lewis, and he just keeps going Jesus Christ. And then he's like breakdancing, and I'm like, that's kind of cool. I like, I like how honest that is. It was a bit very childlike. Uh, this is why we should watch more reels uh, to grow in our depth. Uh, here's the thing. I, I, what I love is that the, the communal prayer to take the, one of the things I, I pray that you've drawn, even from what Tyler shared tonight, is this, this idea that we should be, um, uh, we should be willing to take the risk that, no one can come into the kingdom of heaven unless we have the spirit of little children. Uh, and and there, there's a, that picture right there is there's a humility, a lack of, what's one of the key marks of little children? Uh, the purity of little children is there is a lack of self-consciousness. Uh, something terrible happens to us as we grow and we become so self-conscious that our world begins to shrink. Um, and that childlike, I think the childlike spirit in, in prayer is something desperately needed in the church of that. How much larger would our world be if we were smaller in it? The focus is less upon my own, what do people think of me? And more on what is, what is God thinking about his people turning to him in this moment? So I, I just, I really, I just love that, that the risk taking aspect of prayer, but it's more, think of it more in terms of adventure. It's, the, it's stepping into the unknown in a beautiful way and, and finding ourselves surprised that God is fun to hang out with, <laughs> like that, that, that picture. Um, so this is the last question I want to um, I, I, I ask you, and I think it's a good and simple, um, simple question. What do you think is the greatest hindrance to prayer in the church and in personal lives today? I think it's twofold. I would say a lack of creativity and a prevalence of disappointment. Mm. Um, first, a lack of creativity. You know, maybe this, if I could just admonish you, Door of Hope, in one way, it would be this. You're such a creative community and such a gift to the bride of Christ in our city. And I, I've been in this room a few times. When I walk in here, I'm like, my word, this is gorgeous. And it's, it's not just the bones of the building. It's the way it's been taken care of, the way it's been lived in, the way it's been inhabited, the songs that have come from this community. 
are rich and deep and give cries to the soul that are poetry when you don't have your own words to, to say what is deep in your gut before God and so on and so forth. And we could keep going. The, the book Josh has just written, uh, there was moments when I wept reading it as I had a week for spring break with my family and got to read through it. I mean, there's so much creativity bursting through this community. And, and I would just say this. We've given, in the church of my time, we have given so much creative energy to musical worship, and that's beautiful. Musical worship is a beautiful way to express our hearts to God. Prayers on every page of the Bible, and it's almost always, why don't we just put some metal folding chairs in a circle and just go for it? And I would just say, can we direct some creative energy to the act of prayer, to what it means to connect with God uh, conversationally through listening? Through, Can we have some people give poetic words like modern psalms that would give language to prayer? Can we have creative expressions and interactive expressions of prayer? Can the most creative people in this community get together and say, how can we express our hearts to God in a way that opens our eyes to what it is to connect with the divine being that has made it his business to know me? There's such a lack of creativity in prayer that I think we grow bored quickly when it's metal folding chairs in a circle. And like you said, half the people are using it as a time to share their theological opinions with everyone else, veiled as conversation to God. And the other half are feeling intimidated to pray anything because they think they don't know the language. So we, we just have to, I think, give some creative energy to what it looks like to pray as a community and to pray well. And I bet there are things that God has gifted ways of, of creative prayer that will grow up here at Door of Hope that are for this church. And I bet there's others that will be a gift to churches around you, like the one that I lead. Uh, and then I would just say a prevalence of disappointment. Um, we often don't pray because we've dealt with disappointment or because we fear disappointment. And I'm talking about disappointment with God, right? If I pray and ask, then what if? And a prayerless life is often a way of us holding on to a comfortable spiritual life that is something less than the abundant life that Jesus promised. But at least I'm comfortable with it and it doesn't make me ask the hardest questions that I might have to ask if I really trusted Jesus when it comes to prayer. And, and I, I think I would just say, man, I empathize with that. I get that feeling. Um, you know, the, the ground you're standing on, even if it's something, even if it's like uh, Israel in the wilderness, you know, it's like, hey, I've been delivered from the enemy and I'm not in the promised land, but this is better than how it was. You know, it, at least you're not being oppressed, even if you're not all the way free, right? What if there's a God that wants to free you the whole way? Well, then... What questions do you have to ask if he doesn't? <laughs> or if you feel like you can't hear him no matter how many times you give him the chance, or he doesn't seem to care about the things that are most deeply important to you no matter how many times you bring them up to him, or so on and so forth. And I just think we have a faith that is built on God's goodness, not our competence. If you are banking everything you've got in risk that God's every bit as good as he says he is, 
I think you're right in the heart of historic Christianity and the God that's been revealed to us in Jesus, and that's a good place to be. And he will meet you there. So don't insulate yourself from that, no matter how scary the disappointment is. And I get it. It is really scary. Hey, guys, and uh, really quickly, extend a hand out toward Tyler. Let's just pray blessing over him in Bridgetown. Uh, Lord Jesus, we just thank you for our brother. I just am so grateful for his heart. Uh, even just the gentleness of his voice uh, just reminds me of someone who just is so intimately engaged with you. And I just pray that people were fed tonight, encouraged, inspired. But what I want to pray for right now is just blessing over him, his wife, his kids, uh, and just the ministry of Bridgetown. I thank you for the partnership that we have in the gospel. And I thank you for bringing, I, I thank you for bringing his family to this city. Um, and I, I love that they're just a few blocks away from here, uh, living life in, in a city that desperately needs you right now. Uh, many people are so discouraged and disheartened by Portland. Uh, and yet Tyler came here in the midst of a time when there was a massive exodus uh, and feels called to this place. I pray that you would honor and bless that, that desire and that, that you would do great and mighty things uh, through the community and through his leadership. May he continue to humbly walk before you and be filled with your spirit. And may your protection by your spirit be over his family uh, in, in all that he does. Um, we love you, Jesus, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's give it up for Tyler. Thanks so much for being here. Love you, brother.